people need coaches, whether they know it or not, you know, just like professional athletes, um, they're the people at the top of the game, right? They still have a coach to help them. Olympic athletes, they need that coach to, to shave milliseconds off of their time so that they can can break a world record or, or get a gold medal. So it doesn't matter what level we're on, we need coaching. It's just some of us are more open to it than others. That's my good friend, Steve Verberg, president of Dale Carnegie of Orange County. Friends, I learn so much from Steve every time I have a chance to chat with him. I have him for about the next 40 minutes for you. Stick around. You don't want to miss this, especially if you are leading a team. What if the only thing standing in the way of changing your life was having the confidence you need? I found there's three areas you need to be confident in in order to succeed. Your mind, your faith, and your leadership. One or all three of these areas will always be in play. You are listening to Call to Confidence. I'm your host, Sharon Hughes, and confidence looks good on you. Dale Carnegie of Orange County is proud to sponsor the Call to Confidence podcast. Dale Carnegie is a world-class training organization focused on leadership, communication, presentations, and sales. We help people take command of their lives through taking command of their work. Hey, Steve, welcome back to the show. It's so great to have you on again. Thank you, Sharon. Pleasure to be here. So you know what I would love for you to share first, you were touching on is people need coaches, like we always think like athletes, but mm-hmm. why would somebody need a leadership coach or a business coach? Well, oftentimes the people that get promoted are the people that are extremely good at doing their job. Um, for example, We could say a salesperson who's crushing his numbers. They say, wow, he's really good at sales. Let's make him the sales manager. Well, just because you're good at the job itself doesn't mean you're good at leading people, right? It's it's people skills versus process skills. The process of selling, they might be good at, but the process of leading people, they have no idea how to do it. And so, and Mm -hmm. that you find at every level within the organization. As a matter of fact, the higher you go in an organization, the more your people skills are magnified. So can Mm -hmm. I be a leader of people? Can I gain their willing cooperation? Can I keep them motivated? Right now in uh, in this atmosphere we're in right now, a lot of companies were forced to go virtual. And what they're seeing is eroding enthusiasm from their workforce eroding confidence, eroding uh, productivity because they're separated from all the other people and managers are trying to figure out, well, how do I lead them? How do I motivate them? How do I inspire them? How how can I uh, reach the goals that I'm supposed to be reaching? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that's so important. And, and the one thing 
that you that you started with was people get promoted because they're good at producing, but they don't mm-hmm. have that skill to lead. And in my experience, when I was in corporate training, I saw a lot of great talent out there for producing, but that was the issue is that they didn't know how to pour that knowledge into their team and they didn't know how to encourage and support their team and to push them in a really healthy way. And what it was causing was a huge lack of confidence, but it also started triggering some self-worth issues like maybe I don't really deserve to lead this team. Maybe I'm not as good as I thought that I was. What do you think about that? Well, that's not uncommon either. Um, The way that you build confidence is by successfully doing something once, right? Once I do it, I'm successful at it. I'm confident I can do it again. The more times I do it, the more confident I am that I'll be successful doing it. So somebody who gets put into a leadership role who has no confidence that they know how to lead them or they walk in and and say day one, uh, we're gonna do this, this, and this. And then all of a sudden the productivity of the team goes down, they lose confidence because they haven't successfully motivated the team or they Mm -hmm. haven't successfully uh, gained their willing cooperation. So that's, Going back to your prior question of why do people need coaches, it's because if they've never been trained formally how to do it, you can't expect them to know how to do it. Mm. Very, very few people are natural born leaders, right? People learn how to lead through experience, through life. And if they haven't had those experiences where they've had to lead people, that's where the coach comes in to say, okay, here's what you need to do to gain that cooperation. We do a lot of executive level coaching. And so people in the C-suite have the same problem, right? They got promoted until they got to a certain point in their careers where everybody's afraid to coach them. Well, I can't coach that guy. He's the, he's the CEO or I can't, I can't do, you know, coach that guy because I might get fired. Those people need people who have the confidence to go up to them and say, hey, here's what I see you doing. Here's what you need to get better results. And so when you have the confidence to do that, and, and that's what we would call a 360 degree leader, right? Somebody who's not afraid to lead up across or down in the organization. So the only way they get that coaching is either through an external coach or through somebody in their organization, maybe a direct report, who puts themselves out there and gives them that that frank feedback and coaching. Mm. So you've been coaching for many years. You've you speak, you've written books, you, you've done a lot. What would you say, like the percentage, just like uh, off the cuff, the percentage of companies that are actually making the mistake of promoting people and not equipping them with how to lead their team is like, is it half the companies? Is it more than half the companies out there? I would say it's a little more than half of the companies promote people without having a formal uh, plan in place of how they're going to 
train that person at the next level. I mean, obviously the best scenario is if, if an organization has kind of a succession planning, um, you know, succession plan in place where they are developing people for the next level constantly so that when they do promote somebody, they can step in and, and be confident in what they're doing. But that's, that's rare. Um, what we see more often is a lot of organizations have internal training come, you know, inter internal training departments, and those departments are tasked to train for everything from, mm -hmm. you know, new employee orientation to, um, you know, safety training, uh, technical training. Oh, and by the way, you know, teach these people how to lead as well. Mm -hmm. So their, their skills are spread over so many different types of training that um, it may not be as effective as it could if they had somebody on the team who just focused on different areas. You know, if they have, okay, we have leadership coaches, we have technical trainers, we have, you know, safety compliance trainers or compliance trainers, you know, the bigger organizations can afford to do that, but most of the small and medium-sized organizations can't. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah, that's exactly my experience at the company that I was doing training and development for. Whereas that's such a valid point, is that you can't pull a trainer in and expect them to be proficient in every area of training. You have to pull in those experts that this is what we specialize in is, is leadership development or compliance, yeah. something like that. Yeah. It's the old saying, if you try and be a jack of all trades, you're a master of none. <laughs> it is. So this would essentially be costing companies a fortune if they are putting people into those leadership positions and they're not equipping them I would think that that's the best way to get somebody's attention is because like they say, money talks, right? Yep. But if you're, if you're trying to, so anybody that's listening, that's thinking, Hey, I need some training. They would need to go to their boss and say, if you are not training me properly and using Dale Carnegie, of course, <laughs> <laughs> then it's ultimately costing our company X amount of dollars because we're not as efficient as we could be. Yeah, at, at Dale Carnegie, we always recommend asking questions instead of giving direct orders, right? So if I were approaching somebody above me, I'd probably think about what questions can I ask them so that I can get them thinking about the importance of making sure that you know, the team's trained, I'm trained, whatever, whatever the end result is. So it might be, you know, how could we um, get a higher, um, you know, higher productivity out of the team? Or how could we reduce um, employee absenteeism? Gosh, I see a lot of turnover in this department. Uh, what things do you think would help uh, make this or reduce the turnover, right? So you start to think about what are the key results that you're seeing that 
is directly caused by that person not being trained or by the team not being trained. And there are some quantifiable metrics there, um, whether it's turnover, absenteeism, um, whether it's uh, you know missing goals, low productivity, um, you know things like that. Uh, you know, in, in manufacturing, it might be um, a high scrap rate because there's constant uh, mistakes being made in the in the production due to lack of communication of the team. So you have to kind of see what type of company is it? What are the available metrics? And then you can start to say, okay, well, what, what's causing this metric to be off of where we need it to be? And so that's, the, that's probably the best way to get the attention of an organization or an upper level person that has that decision-making ability to send you to training is to find the metric that will directly be impacted by you getting some coaching or training. Okay. I love that. So it would be observe what's going on around you. Yes. Be curious, start asking Mm -hmm. questions Mm -hmm. and then take those observations in question form to your boss. And I like what you said, because you said, you know, come, come with questions rather than just a direct, I, <laughs> exactly. I gotta have this because doesn't that send the message to your boss? I'm partnering with you and I want to help solve a problem. Yeah. Well, you know, Dale Carnegie was a master in understanding people. So he said, people support a world they help to create. Mm. And one of his principles is let the other person think the idea is his or her own. Yes. So if you're asking questions, you have the end goal in mind, but you're asking the questions to guide them down that path to make the the decision like, you know, this is something I really need to do, Mm -hmm. or this is something I really need to, to do for the team or send certain people to to training or what have you. Um, And then they support it because one, they think it's their idea or two, they've helped create the plan instead of having somebody just come to them and say, you're going to do this, right? I mean, how many of us have been given a performance appraisal and there's on that performance appraisal, it says you need to take this training, right? And we get those calls all the time. Somebody said, oh, I got my my performance review. And they said, I have to take this training. And then they show up with a bad attitude, Mm -hmm. right? So then you spend 30% of the time adjusting their attitude. And so they're getting 60% of what they could have gotten out of it or 70% of what they could have gotten out of it instead of coming with a good attitude and getting 100%. You're so good at calling people out in a in a good way and letting them know you're believing some things that aren't quite true. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it you know, attitude is that is that key ingredient. If you're not emotionally bought in, if you don't have the attitude that I want to, can do, will do, then you're not going to. Mm-hmm. And we see that with people, right? We have at Dale Carnegie, we have a transformation 
formula, which is EC plus BC equals PC. That's emotional change plus perform or plus performance change. I'm sorry, <laughs> BC is not performance change. That's the end result. So emotional change plus behavioral change equals performance change, right? You mm. can't just change the behaviors on a day-to-day basis because they'll fall back to old habits. Right. So you need them to be emotionally bought in to this yeah. is why I want to change or this is why it's important. You know, I heard somebody say a really long time ago, and this has stuck with me. I, I don't even know where I heard it. Maybe I made it up in my head, but you can't buy a good attitude. <laughs> that is true. That's true. And I remember this was years ago. I was at a company and they had asked me, well, what sets you apart? And I said, I have a good attitude. I said, you can't buy a good attitude. And he goes, oh yeah, I can. He goes, I can pay somebody more money. And I thought he's missing the point. You can pay them more money. That doesn't mean they're going to have a good attitude. They might be happy about their paycheck. It doesn't mean that in their performance of their job, that they're going to have a good attitude though. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah. It's kind of funny. The funny thing is, is when you look at like um, employee engagement statistics and surveys, you'll see that, you know, one of the top motivators, one of the top three, I should say, motivators in every survey is that um, they, it's, it's not attitude, but it's that they like where they're working, right? They like mm-hmm. their immediate manager. They respect their immediate managers. They have a relationship with that person. It's said in a whole bunch of different ways, but that's what it comes down to. And so that, that relationship that I like being here with this person is that attitude piece. So when you, when you talk about not having a good attitude, if I don't like where I'm working or I don't like my manager, Mm-hmm. then what's going to happen to my productivity? It's going to go down. I'm not, I'm not giving that discretionary effort. I'm just doing what I have to do to get my paycheck. And so in those top three motivators, you never find money. It's not compensation. Because anybody could go down the road to a, a different company and make a dollar more an hour or 50 cents more an hour you know, they can get a better paycheck mm-hmm. anywhere. So what keeps a person at a company? It's that attitude that I like being here. I want to do well for this manager. I believe in my organization. It's that emotional commitment, that attitude piece that separates the good from the great. If I have... 20 people on my team, probably the people with the best attitudes are going to rise to the top. Now, it's not always true. There's those, there's those anomalies, you know, the, the one in a hundred that can have a bad attitude and still excel at everything, but that's rare. And those people hit glass ceilings because what can you do with them? Nobody wants to work with them. Mm-hmm. I've had a lot of executives come to my come to Dale Carnegie here and and basically the organization says either fix them or they're fired because 
they're technically great and we we need them technically, but nobody can work with them. I can't put them in front of a customer and their team keeps quitting. Wow. So what do you do? You gotta you gotta somehow get through to them that either you change or it's gonna have consequences to you financially. You know, you're gonna lose your job, you're gonna lose your your position. Uh, ultimately, you may lose more than that, right? Mm. We see people um, in society all the time, especially uh, <laughs> during this lockdown, where all of a sudden everybody's in the same house, right? You're all of a sudden if, gosh, I could tolerate that person when they were, when I only had to see them, you know, three or four hours a day, but now I have to see them all day long every day. So it's, uh, mm. it can have repercussions on your personal life too. Yeah. Yeah. That's brutal. Wow. Fix them or we're going to fire them. That's a lot of pressure. Yeah. Well, the good news is we've only had to kick out, you know, about three people over the last 10 years (laughs) 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 that, you know, they, they came with the attitude like, okay, I don't want to be here. I know that I could benefit from it, but I'm not going to benefit from it because I don't want my boss to think they're right. And while I'm here, I'm going to make it miserable for everybody else. Those (laughs) And those are the people we have to, we have to actually kick out. It's, it's rare, but it happens. Wow. That's really interesting. (laughs) It's like being grounded. Yeah. (laughs) We're going to ground you and send you to Dale Carnegie to fix you. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh gosh. So let's circle back to a little bit more confidence in leadership. Maybe you could give us like a tip or two of what helps a leader to make confident decisions. Say maybe it's a person that is in a company where because of where we are at this time and place in the world that their budget's really tight and they're saying we cannot we cannot send you for training. We can't even bring somebody in-house to train. And so they're really struggling and they're reading the books and all that stuff but they're just getting really frustrated. What what tip could you give? of how to make confident decisions when leading a team in this time of uncertainty? That's a, that's a broad subject. I can give you, I can give you a couple of tips. One, um, we have a problem analysis kind of formula and that's, that consists of four questions. Uh, first is what is, what is the problem? What comes after that is what are the causes of the problem? The third question then would be, what are the possible solutions? And then the the fourth one is, what's the best possible solution? So if you can answer those four questions when you have to make a decision, what's the problem? What's the causes of the problem? What are the possible solutions and the best possible solution? Then typically, you know what you need to do and you need to act, right? Don't do the analysis paralysis thing where I need to think about it over and over and over again. So if you can answer those four, those four questions, we see that, you know, it gives people the confidence to move forward because they've examined, they know the root of the problem. They know the causes. 
here's some solutions we could do. Okay, this looks like the best possible solution. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Mr. Carnegie in the How to Win Friends and Influence People book goes through that decision-making process. He talks about a CEO that, that basically came in and said, look, I have no time to do anything because I have people asking me to make decisions for them all day. So he empowered his people to answer those four questions. And what he found out is once they, they answered those four questions, they didn't need to come to him mm -hmm. and ask his opinion anymore, right? So it's not only to make you more confident at your decisions, but to make your people more confident in the decisions they're making. So that's, that's yeah. one thing that you could be doing. You could also get, um, you know, into decision-making um, criteria, like absolute criteria, desirable criteria, weigh the options um, and so forth to, to make sure that you are picking the best solution. But again, that's going down a bigger, uh, more complex decision-making process. So it's best to keep it simple. Ask those four questions answer those four questions and then move or act on what you think is the best decision. I like that. That's really simple. It's super concise, very actionable. Answer, answer this though. So let's say we hand this to our team and we're empowering them. We want them to make their decisions. What about the leader that's still learning how to lead and then has an issue with how they, the team has handled that problem. They've went through those four questions mm -hmm. and they made a decision and acted on it. Cause I, I saw this quite a bit was they would empower you to make the decision, but then they didn't like the decision that you made and wanted to take the power back. Yeah. So is that just a, a control issue? <laughs> It's actually a very common control issue, right? That's the whole reason why new managers or existing managers don't like to delegate because they think they can do everything better, right? Mm, and what yeah. I have to often remind leaders is just because it's different doesn't mean it's not just as good, right? So if you, if you say, okay, here's the parameters that you have, here's what I need to happen, here's the goal, and they go about it from a different process or plan than you would have done, it doesn't mean that it's not just as good and sometimes it's better. But managers oftentimes have this control issue where they say, okay, if it's not being done exactly the way that I would have done it, then it's obviously not as good. Mm -hmm. But the reality is, is that the people, the frontline people, the people that are customer facing or the people that have to do the job every day, they often have better ways to do it than we do because we're at least one level away from that front line, right? So they can make decisions and they, they can see different ways that maybe they could get better results. Mm -hmm. So the, the issue comes down to, did you get the results, the desired results that you asked for? And if you didn't, then you have to look at yourself instead of trying to 
to take the power away from them, you have to look at yourself and say, okay, did I sit down with the person prior to giving them this project or this goal? Did I hold that, that delegation meeting that clearly outlined what my expectations were? If my expectations were X and I got Y, is it because I didn't paint a clear picture for them, right? You, you remember when you were a child and played that, that game telephone mm-hmm. you know, where one person would say it into the next person's ear and so on and so forth. And by the time it got to the end of the chain, it was totally different. That happens because people can't hear what's being said to the person before them. Mm-hmm. So are you painting a clear enough picture that that person could describe the exact same picture to the next person? Or is that picture going to be, is it going to be changed because they didn't quite understand what you were saying? Right? So you have to have feedback loops You have to give them opportunities to check in. You have to have points within their, um, within the project where you could come and say, okay, give me that status. Where are you? Where are you? What does it look like? Is it going to be, is it going to be completed on time? So on and so forth. So oftentimes when a manager wants to point the finger at an employee, they first have to say, okay, should I be pointing it at myself? Did I delegate this correctly? And delegation is a huge challenge for people who've never had leadership training. Mm -hmm. So it goes back to that. Am I confident enough to be able to hand off this project to my team and know that I'm going to get the results that I need? Right? So there's no easy answer because, you know, unless they've been trained to do it, they're probably not going to be as confident giving away that control that causes them to, you know, constantly want to take it back. Yeah. Boy, that's good. That's good stuff, Steve. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I love it. Okay. So at Dale Carnegie, what are you guys doing over there right now? Because we're kind of in this open, close, open, close situation in California. Are you able to bring any trainings out into businesses or is everything virtual right now? We're actually doing both. We have live online instructor-led coaching where we're, we're doing it virtually. Uh, but we do have several customers that are open, except especially when you're talking about, you know, the essential services where they're already open. So we'll go to their organization and we'll actually deliver live Mm face-to-face programs at their facility. Their people are already there. Mm -hmm. Um, So obviously following all the the guidelines that are in place, but uh, we are, we're finding more people are open to that online coaching than in the past. We've been doing that for about 10 years. Um, and it was a very small part of the business, you know, a year ago. Now it's, it's a major piece of the business. 
Yeah. And hey, something I want to point out is that that what you offer is not just to businesses. So independent independent professionals that just want to become better communicators, better leaders, even mm-hmm. if it's developing leadership skills that they use, say, in their community, maybe they coach sports or maybe they're involved in their church, something like that. You have courses for personal development as well. Am I correct? That is correct. We have... Our, our flagship program, the Dale Carnegie course, is about human relations and communication. So we've been teaching that particular course for over 108 years. Wow. <laughs> so, so Mr. Carnegie started it, you know, a long time ago. And the funny thing is, is people, like you say, across every demographic, every, whether it's a you know, a wife at home that's taking care of the kids or a single parent, or it could be a, you know, a business entrepreneur, or it could be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. They can all use communication and interpersonal skills because they have to deal with other people. Mm -hmm. And, you know, reading the How to Win Friends and Influence People book that'll give you 30 human relations principles that you can go back and use. But it goes back to that coaching aspect. You know, why people need coaches is because you can read something and then sit down the book and you've automatically forgot most of what you just read, read. And if you haven't forgot, it doesn't necessarily mean you know how to apply it. Oh, that's so good right there. You yeah. don't know how to apply it. Yeah. So yeah. a lot of times what we'll say to people is, look, we're going to take you through a lot of common sense things that are not common practice. Mm, right. Yeah. You might say, well, that sounds like common sense. Yes. Do you do it? No. Right. It's not common practice. You actually mm-hmm. have to do it to get the results you want. So I would think that that would be the hardest part of that learning process. Cause it's one thing to, to, to read it, understand it, have the learning transfer take place, but it's that implementation on the daily. And, you know, I can't remember who I was listening to, but they were talking about developing like kind of like muscle memory, I guess Mm -hmm. it would be really creating new neural pathways is that it's just going to feel odd and fumbly when you first start some of this stuff and that it takes that practice and having that coach there with you so that you get good at it. Yeah. I often use the analogy of, of a freshly laid uh, sod, you know, a lawn, Mm -hmm. right? If you, if you lay that lawn out and you walk across it, you'll see the footsteps And then the next day you'll come out and the footsteps will be gone because the blades of grass went back to where they were before. But if you walk across that same path every day, it burns a path in the lawn and you'll see, you know, basically a dirt path going through it. And your mind works the same way. The first time you do something, you're making an imprint there. But if you don't do it again, that that goes away, right? It won't be kept in your mind very long. So you have to use it over and over and over again to burn that path in that 
in your mind to where it's it's muscle memory. The, the second something happens, I know what to do or I react mm-hmm. in the right way because I've done it so many times. Yeah, that's so good. I love it. Well, of course, I'm going to link everything up below in the show notes, but Steve, where can people find you to either take a class online, invite you into their office? Go ahead and give us a plug. Sure. Yeah, you can find our local Dale Carnegie office at ocdalecarnegie.com. That's D-A-L-C-A-R-N-E-G-I-E.com. And and yeah, you would be happy to uh, talk with anybody that, that is interested in learning more. Yeah. And if you heard it here on the show, make sure you let Steve know that you, <laughs> you heard him on yes. the Called to Confidence podcast, there which I'm really excited that you've partnered with me for a little over a year. And um, I just look forward to more and more in the future. You are a wealth of knowledge, Steve. (laughs) I appreciate that, Sharon. And hey, I also want listeners to know that I have been at several workshops with Steve and his team, and they are absolutely phenomenal. You will not be disappointed if you send your people down there or you just decide to take a personal development course. They are absolutely excellent. So stamp, stamp of endorsement on my end. Thank you. Giving me that, uh, you know, that high for the day. I got my positive reinforcement today. Your positive reinforcement. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Steve. And as always, you and anybody on your teams, welcome to come on the show anytime. Thank you, Sharon. Thank you so much for being here and being a part of Called to Confidence. If you haven't subscribed, hit the button so you never miss an episode. And would you consider leaving a review? All right, friends, until next time, I wish you every good thing.